The Bible reading today is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who orders you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you, Tanya. Good morning. If we haven't met before, my name's Ian. I've been a member here since uh, Trinity Church only opened in 2018. Now that was an exciting time. All that work of preparing and that first service, hoping and praying everything would go to plan. Doing something on your own for the first time can be a bit scary. I wonder how many people here can remember the first time they drove a car on their own. Many of us will, uh, but for some of us that might still be in the future. And after all that effort to get the P-plates, there's the mixed excitement and fear of moving off with no one to tell you to slow down or turn here or do a reverse park. First times are scary. Mothers and fathers among us may remember bringing their first child home. This beautiful, beloved little bundle who you've been so eagerly awaiting and who is totally dependent on you. And there's no instruction manual. Well, at least there wasn't when our children were born. And may have, evolution may have moved on a bit since then, but I, uh, I doubt it. Or maybe the first day of a new job, perhaps as a manager with a team looking to you for leadership or expertise. And if things go wrong, the buck stops with you. Being on your own for the first time can be scary. Now, reading this passage, I think this may be how the Philippians were feeling. Until recently, they've had Paul there with them to guide and to help them, but he's moved on and may never be able to return. So how will they manage on their own? This is actually the third of the five sermons that Carl, our senior pastor, has asked me to preach on Philippians. There'll be two more later in the year. So let's look back a bit and recall the context in which Paul was writing and in which the Philippians read his letter. Now, you may know that much of Paul's early ministry took place in what today is the country of Turkey. Philippi, however, is a city in Greece, the region then called Macedonia. And we've got a picture here of Paul's second journey when he was called to Macedonia. On your right is modern-day Turkey, and on the left, Macedonia and Achaia, modern-day Greece. Philippi had the status of a Roman colony, which gave it a privileged position, equivalent to a city on Italian soil. Many veterans of the Roman army had been granted land there, and Roman influence would have been strong, including an emphasis on worship of the emperor. A new cult, worshipping a new lord, would be regarded with suspicion and hostility. 
in chapter 1 of Philippians, we find Paul imprisoned. The Philippians looking at the possibility of persecution. Paul has encouraged them to stand firm in unity. In verse 27 of chapter 1, he calls them to stand in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This theme of unity in faith carries through into chapter 2, with Paul exhorting them to look up to each other, humbling themselves as Christ did, and following Christ's example of service. Verses 6 to 11 of chapter 2 are the well-known Christ hymn, extolling Jesus for his sacrifice in becoming a slave and dying for us. Paul uses this to show the Philippians the importance of standing together and not thinking of themselves as individuals. This idea of the corporate nature of faith and the need for unity and adversity is important in understanding today's passage, Philippians 2, 12 to 18. A short passage, but with much to challenge and encourage us. So would you please open your Bibles to Philippians 2, 12, also on the screen. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, the NIV leaves out that word, the own, your own salvation. It's there in the other translations and also it's there in the original Greek and I think it's helpful to include it. Because as I said, I think the Philippians have been feeling like the newly qualified driver or the, the new parent or the new manager. While Paul was with them, they could take any problems to him. Now they're facing the possibility of persecution and Paul is in prison. What are they to do? Paul gives them the only answer. How do you drive a car on your own? You keep doing what your instructor told you. The Philippians must continue to follow his instructions. Even more so now that he's not with them, they have to work out their own salvation. Uh, to be precise, they have to continue to work out their own salvation. So it's not really something new. They've already been doing it. They just have to keep on and not be distracted by what's going on around them. So what does it mean to work out their own salvation? Unfortunately, the term work out in English is a bit ambiguous, and I don't think it's a very good translation. It usually means to solve a problem, as in, I don't know how to take a photo on my new iPhone, but I'm sure I can work it out. That would mean that Paul was setting the Philippians, and perhaps us, a challenge. You need to find salvation somehow, and I'm sure you'll be able to work it out on your own. In the context, that clearly can't be what Paul's doing. He's already told them what to do, and shown them in his own actions an example to follow. Now, work out here has a different meaning. It's something like, it'll all work out in the end. A better translation might be, continue to work towards your own salvation. They don't have to invent or discover something new, rather to continue to work towards their salvation, as they've already learnt from Paul. And they're not really on their own. Those of you who know me will know I'm a bit of a, a language nerd, so let me tell you that in Greek and Hebrew, as you may know, there's uh, uh, different words for you as singular, you an individual person, and you as a group. There's one in Australian too, use, usual, no, um, y'all in Southern American. Um, you can be singular, you can be plural. And in today's passage, it's the plural that's used. 
It's the Philippian church as a whole he's speaking to, not the individuals. This carries on from the previous verses. There to be a community supporting and honoring each other as they continue to work together towards their salvation. Paul has left them, but they're not alone. They have each other meeting together for mutual support. So, in Paul's absence, the Philippian church has to work in unity as a community towards their own salvation, just as they did in his presence, but no longer with Paul to guide them on their own. Still, as a community, maybe they're on their own. How will they manage without Paul to guide them? How can they know what is right? How can they work towards or achieve their salvation on their own? A good question, and one which actually seems to become a bit harder when we read the end of verse 12, because they're to do this, says Paul, in fear and trembling. That sounds a bit odd. We might expect something different. You might expect him to say, work towards your salvation together, confident in your unity, or something like that. But no, that's not what he says. They're to work out their own salvation in fear and trembling. What does he mean by this? Well, perhaps he thinks they're like the new pea platers, driving off a bit nervously and trembling with excitement. Perhaps he's telling them they need to keep going despite any fears. Mm, maybe, but it might be helpful to look at other places where this phrase is used. For example, Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 2.3, where he writes to the Corinthians, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. If you were here last month to hear Carl's sermon on 1 Corinthians, you may recall Paul is contrasting his own lack of skill with the Corinthians' excessive confidence and pride. So another possibility is that Paul is tempering his advice. You can do this on your own, but don't get overconfident. Take cautious steps, aware of your own limitations. And I think that's possibly one aspect of Paul's words here. He's seen places like Corinth where the church has gone astray and needs to keep their self-confidence under control. And he doesn't want to see that happening in Philippi. So when he writes of fear and trembling, he's saying, continue to work towards your salvation, but beware of overconfidence. But I think there's another aspect as well as that. And I think this is the most important for us to hear. This phrase, fear and trembling, is often used in the Old Testament to speak of the response of people in the presence of the work of God. For example, in Psalm 2 and verse 11, we read, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Because, Paul says, the Christians in the church at Philippi are not on their own. He has indeed left and may never be able to return, but their work doesn't depend on Paul. Rather, they receive an amazing assurance in the very next verse. In verse 13, Paul continues, For it is God who works among you. Yes, Paul has left them, but they're not alone. Not alone as individuals, but in a mutually supportive community. And not alone as a community, they're in the presence of God. Fear and trembling are an appropriate response. But how is God present? In the Old Testament book of Exodus, we read of God appearing in fire and smoke on Mount Sinai and the Israelites reacting with fear. In Isaiah 19, which is up here, we read of the reaction of the Egyptians to God's coming. 
See, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and is coming to Egypt. The idols of Egypt tremble before him and the hearts of the Egyptians melt with fear. Fear and trembling indeed. But now God's presence is much closer. He is working within the Philippian church. No longer remote, he is at work among them. He is present with the community. As Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together, I am there. Now, how often do we think about what this means? We are gathered together here today and can receive these tremendous promises. Jesus is here with us. God is at work among us and within us. Are we responding in fear and trembling at his awesome presence? Or are we distracted by the thoughts of the world around us, plans for lunch or the afternoon's footy, the person near us singing out a tune or the typo on the overhead slides? Are we thinking of these things and not the presence of God Almighty? God is present here among us. And Paul tells the Philippians that he is not just a spiritual presence, a warm glow or a feeling of peace, Look again at verse 13. God works among you to will and to act. To will and to act. God's work within us is both to will and to act. Not just to will without the power to act. Not just the act to act, whether we will or not, overpowering our wills. It is God in us who takes our wills when we surrender them so that in our weakness we can receive his strength to will what is in accordance, accordance with what we know is right. It is God who gives us the strength and courage to act in accordance with our reformed wills. God works in us to will and to act. And why? It's there at the end of verse 13. To fulfill his good purpose. God's purpose for the Philippians and for us is good. God's purpose is to achieve our salvation and to show the world his greatness and his goodness. And we can share in the promise that Paul made to the Philippians. God's spirit is present in us to will and to act in accordance with his good purpose. So what will this look like? How are the Philippians and we to act? Once again, Paul's words are not what we might expect. We might expect Paul to f focus on spectacular activities. Perhaps he will tell them, go and preach the gospel to everyone around you. Or perhaps he will tell them to show the gifts of the Spirit. Now these are good things. And elsewhere, uh, we are encouraged to do these. But no, Paul starts with something simpler, something much humbler. In verse 14, he writes, do everything without grumbling or arguing. No grumbling or arguing, that seems too easy. Why does he start with this? Well, recall where Paul started this chapter. Verse two, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. He wants them to be unified, not divided by grumbling and arguing over unimportant things. His goal for the Philippians is that they will stand united within a culture where they may be criticized and persecuted. 
They are to be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. They are to shine like stars in a world of darkness. And it begins with being united, like-minded, having the same love and one mind. See verse 15. They are to become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then they will shine among them like stars in the sky. Paul's first priority continues to be unity. You can't be shining lights if you're grumbling and arguing. Recall Jesus' words in John 13, 34. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. As the song says, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Starting from this united base, members in a loving community, they can hold fast to the word of life, the gospel of Christ, that Paul has preached to them so he can be proud of his achievement among them as they grow in faith and confidence. As we noted before, Paul is suffering persecution and is likely to be coming to the, and it is likely to be coming to the Philippians as well. But rather than complaining or being consumed by fear, Paul says in verse 17 that he is glad and rejoices with them. What does he mean when he writes that he is being poured out like a drink offering? Well, the Greek word translated sacrifice and service in the NIV is liturgia, from which we get our word liturgy. So Paul sees the faith of of the Philippians as a sacred service to God. A drink offering was part of such a service. So Paul is saying that he sees himself as part of their service. He is expressing his unity with the Philippian church. And perhaps he's also showing parallels between his situation and that of Jesus. Under threat of execution, yet standing firm and confident. Recalling Jesus' words at the Last Supper, this is my blood poured out for you. Paul's blood being poured out as Jesus' blood was shed in the perfect sacrifice. But Paul's not worried about this. Look at verse 17. He may be persecuted, he may be executed, his blood poured out like a drink offering. But he will rejoice, confident in the presence and the work of God in him and in the Philippians. And the Philippians too are to rejoice. They need have no worries. If they follow his leading, they will be blameless and pure without fault in a warped and crooked generation. They too may suffer persecution. We saw that in chapter one. But they can be sure that God is at work within their community. What about our community here at Trinity Church Unley? We can take Paul's message to the Philippians and apply it to our own situation. We don't have Paul here today. Though sometimes it would be useful to have him to explain some of his more difficult writings. But we are far from alone. We have each other. And not only the community here at TCU. In the Apostles' Creed, which we read together a few minutes ago, we spoke of the community of saints. We are part of this much bigger community. The body of Christ, united in worship and witness across time and space, with Christ as our head. We can draw upon the experience and witness of many heroes of the faith to encourage us and build up our faith. The Men's Convention and the Grace Conference are providing another opportunity for this. 
Like the Philippians, we have God working within us and among us. We can be assured of his awesome promise to be with us. 17th century monk called Brother Lawrence wrote letters that have been collected into a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence worked as a cook and later as a sandal repairer in a monastery in Paris. In these lowly roles, he developed the practice of seeing God's presence in everything. It may sound simple, but Brother Lawrence didn't find it so. He records for the first 10 years he fell often, but rose again each time. So we should not be surprised we find it a challenge to develop this constant awareness. While preparing for this sermon, I've tried to put this into practice. Sometimes, if I'm lucky, I can last a few minutes at a time before distractions crowd in. The latest news or the football scores or a computer game and make me lapse into forgetfulness. But I can fall and get up again. I'm not doing this on my own. Brother Lawrence wrote that the first requirement is to apply to God. And as we've seen in Philippians today, God is at work in us to align our wavering wills with his. So there's hope for me. I pray that God will work in me to make me more aware of him. So let's seek to maintain our awareness of God's presence. Let's look for him in the community of saints here at TCU and beyond. Let's seek to build each other up without grumbling or arguing, seeking to be united, holding fast to the word of life, to be children of God, lights in a darkened world. Like Paul and like the Philippians, we don't need to be concerned about rejection or persecution. We don't need to worry that expressing our beliefs in public may lead to criticism. Paul and the Philippians were in a much worse situation and they were able to rejoice. Let's rejoice with each other, confident of Christ's presence in us, God's work among us, within us, and in his promise of salvation. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray for our community here at Trinity Church Unley. We see our imperfections and feel our failure to love as we should. Make us aware of your presence, working within us to will and to act for your good purpose. Guide us and strengthen us as we seek to be your body in the world, a community of faith, a shining light calling the world to give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.